Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast. We're coming into October, which is crazy to believe we're already there. But today, uh, it's my privilege to introduce you to Gaetan Pelletier. From the, he's the Executive Director at the Northern Harvard Research Institute out of Edmondson, New Brunswick. Edmondston. Yes. So for us Canadians who often drive, I guess, east uh, coast, Edmondston is often uh, probably maybe not not uh, the place you want to be recognized exclusively for, but a good stop for at least our Ontarians to, to pit stop there as we keep going out east. But I've, I've had uh, the, the privilege to stop in and chat with Gaetan at his uh, institute, and I think we're going to have a great talk today. So Gaetan, how are you doing today? Doing great, going great this afternoon. Uh, good, good afternoon. Awesome. Awesome. So as with uh, the number one question I always ask people is share with us your journey in forestry, because I know a little bit of it, but I don't think I know it all. So I'm, I'm equally curious to, to know that journey from when you're a little guy, you know, what triggered it? Was it family uh, being in the business of forestry or, or was it some trigger event? But yeah, give us the, the rundown of your, your background to date. Yeah, I, I grew up uh, pretty well in the woods, uh, and then we had a we had a homestead, and father had a woodlot, and and uh, you know we're very familiar with with what you do in in the woods. And uh, I was pretty good in school, and uh, and I, I kind of decided to do something professionally uh, to do with with the forest. And anyway, so my my career, my 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 path is a bit uh, unorthodox. So I started uh, with a three year program and. In Quebec, and then uh, and I, I continued uh, my bachelor's degree uh, uh, part time, and then I, I started a master's degree. And but really, uh, really, my 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 uh, my career is about doing doing things. So I was very very fortunate to uh, start with uh, JD Irving Limited, uh, my first job, and I, I stayed there for twenty eight years, and and I did uh, I did a lot of fun stuff, a lot of interesting things. Uh, uh, a lot of R&D, but a lot of developing of uh, practices and uh, and best uh, best practices and management systems. And in my second career, after 28 years, I became the very first uh, director at the Northern Hardwoods Research Institute here. And so this is my 10th tenth, 10th year do, doing that. Wow, amazing, amazing. So for our listeners, this is a, a gentleman who's had boots on the ground for 28 years, right? And then... Uh, on to second career, like, you, you'll just keep working till the end by the sounds of it, you know, 28 <laughs> plus 10. So obviously a wealth of knowledge um, inside your brain uh, from a practical point of view and, and maybe uh, connecting uh, reality research, trying to make it feasible and, and, and whatnot. Um, so thinking about your journey in 28 years, just thinking about technology, this podcast is really talking to people about uh, their journey, their experiences, what they've seen. But so before we get into the research side, I'm just curious to know your thoughts when you mentioned, you know, 28 years with J.D. Irving, you know, congratulations on that. It's like, you know, you're, you're what now, 29 years old by the looks of it, right? So you still got <laughs> many more years to go. But maybe what what do you think from the time you started to where we are today and, and not going into the research side, what what's maybe surprised you the most in terms of how the, the industry has changed in the context of technology? And I, I started... Um when we did not even have a PC at the office and I had my own Commodore 64 that I brought to work and, and uh, we had, uh, we had very, very limited communications and, 
and uh, no cell phones, of course, and uh, we, we, we communicated by, by radio. So we had a radio for local, uh, uh, for the local district, but then we had what we called a main channel, which you could cover from the border of Quebec to Nova Scotia. But any conversation were public, everybody would, would, uh, would, would hear you. So, uh, and one day we got a fax machine and we were, we were <laughs> super happy that within 15 minutes, you could receive one page of, uh, of text uh, on, on, this, on this machine with glossy uh, thermal paper and, but uh, but really, really, it, it took a while to 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 realize the benefits of uh, digitalization and uh, and technology because there was there was hardly none. The GPS was not uh, was not readily available back then. It was only a military tool. Uh, in the airplanes, we had Loran C for uh, for locating where where we were, and and uh, but we, we we did things very very traditionally. And when I when I started, uh, I was assigned a mentor, a great great mentor. But it took years and years before you know um, I was able to do things by myself, innovate and and and, and create. And uh, so things took time back then, and uh, and everything was very very hands on. And if you didn't know your your forest, uh, if you didn't carry uh, a jackknife in your pocket and a magnifying <laughs> glass on your cruising vest. Uh, you were not made for that type of type of work, and then and then things start to happen very very rapidly. Uh, GIS, uh, uh, J.D. Irving Limited, uh, in back in 1984, we acquired uh, Esri's uh, license number 0002, and 0001 was the Department of Natural Resources. Very very infancy, and, yeah. and we used to take paper maps. Put them on those great big uh, digitizing uh, stations, and we would digitize, yep. digitize lines and stuff, and and everything was on a prime computer, command driven, and but but you could see where this was going, and we knew it was much more than a convenient convenient way to make maps digital. We started to do experiment with queries and topology and things. And, and uh, so that I, I would say that was the first uh, trigger uh, in the in the early 80s. And then, and then things just rapidly changed. And one day we were able to use GPS and, and very, very big clunky machines that weighed about 20 pounds in a backpack. And <laughs> you, had to, you had to have a differential correction for everything. And um, but, but but we could see the value of, of digitalizing the value chain right right back then. Right, right. That's amazing. You know, I, I'm I'm chuckling because as you're describing some of that history, you know, we probably have some listeners like going like like sorry, what what's a Commodore sixty four like. Like what's a fax like a fax machine? What is that right out of thing? And I had a Commodore sixty four, so I'm dating myself uh, as well. But it's 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 totally cool to hear that. And and yeah, that just that lineage of GIS, like GPS, right? Like nowadays, everyone uh, I don't know it's taken for granted, if you will. It's in our phones and everything. But to to hear that lineage, that you know, at once upon a time. There was not these things and forestry, the business of forestry still unfolded per se. Uh, so thinking about your career in technology, you, you, you've obviously dabbled with lots of things. And I agree, I had an undergrad course where I had to digitize, you know, the, the four ticks of the corner of the paper map, then use the puck. And, and now people are like, like, why would you do that? Why would you not just use a computer? It's like, yes, ha, ha, ha. It's like, we did have computers back then. They're just maybe different than what they are today. But thinking of technology as a whole, 
tell us maybe about your role with uh, NHRI because you're doing a lot of cool research, uh, leading edge research, creating partnerships in the province of New Brunswick. But maybe for our listeners, introduce ourselves to who NHRI is and, and its mandate and its uh, research priorities uh, today. Yeah, so the, the um, NHRI, uh, we're now into our 10th 10th year, and it's a it's a partnership between uh, private industry and then the government of New Brunswick, government of Canada, and uh, and uh, University of of, of Moncton. Uh, and we we started back in in 2012 uh, as an applied research center, which which uh, required that we think about the structure. Uh, quite a bit because uh, initially um, uh, people thought it would be like a research chair and a very very traditional way of doing doing um, research and 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 we knew from the outset that we could not compete with the research done at big institutions and and we didn't want to reinvent the wheel so we 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 had to be uh, a bit a bit a bit unique the niche that we found is um, in making research very applicable, uh, true, very relevant, and and turn research into solutions and don't do research if you don't have a problem to address. Uh, we still do a lot of research internally, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, but we, we leverage partnerships everywhere and even with 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 the private sector as you as you know. So and um, so we, we are a research center that tries to improve the way we manage mixed and hardwood stands in, in Eastern North America. Uh, but it became also very obvious at the, at, at the outset that uh, we, could not, um, we could not transform knowledge into benefits unless we, we made it digital. Uh, so no sense developing uh, uh, civil culture guidebooks and that uh, forester has to walk around every tree and to make a decision and and uh, we knew we knew everything we did and all the knowledge we would create or synthesize uh, would have to be would have to be uh, transformed into some type of a digital solution so uh, right. so so that that's why we're we're very very um, on to um, uh, digital forestry, precision forestry, and digitalization of the value chains. Yeah, very, very cool. And 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 so you know, you're you're a great guy to be in that position to answer these types of questions. Of what do you see uh, when we think about innovation? Um, I don't. I, I I hate the word disruption personally, but I'll throw it in there. But disruption, digitalization, modernization. Um, Etc. What do you what do you see from your seat the the challenge or maybe the the barriers to entry for some of these companies? Because I know in past discussions you'll work with some companies that are very very along in their um, their transformations, if that's the right word, and adopting new technologies. But also quite a few folks um, um, on the New Brunswick side that maybe a little bit lagging behind. But also your institute is not just New Brunswick. It's 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 broad uh, per se, but thinking of, of in that context, what do you see? Is there a pattern between the, the people bleeding or leading the trail versus maybe people lagging a little bit, or is it just the usual innovation curve where we've got the early adopters, we got the late majority coming online? What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, that, that pattern certainly exists. So we, we, we see that as being a dominant, um, a dominant uh, trend. So uh, uh, there, there's, like you mentioned, uh, explorers and then early adopters, and then, then the rest of the pack kind of catches. And, and while this is happening, uh, the, the pioneers are looking at something else. And then, and, and then there's, there's another wave coming. And, and so certainly that, that is, that is um, a reality and we, we, we see it every day. Um, but the, the forest sector is very particular. And uh, uh, one of the biggest benefits I found leaving my old job and coming here is that we, we started to work with technology uh, firms and technology institutions and also other sectors like agriculture. And, it, and, and very, very quick, I kind of said, holy jeepers, like the other sectors are further along in, in, in advancements in, in, a bunch of, in a bunch of features. Uh, well, digitalization is one of them, uh, but also, uh, also the, um, uh, the culture. Right? Uh, many other sectors are driven by how can we make things uh, happen without relying on a, a, ton of, a ton of people because that, uh, that pipeline of people is not there anymore. And I, I, I find forestry is, is kind of lagging amongst all, all sectors. Um, a good example, uh, in, in, in the 1990s, the, uh, the Scandinavians developed uh, harvesters and harvesting heads, and actually earlier than that, probably the late 80s. And then the technology of onboard computers that would uh, uh, automatically, by measuring the tree, predict taper, and then decide what the optimal cut would be way before you you uh, you went there and and uh, and, and then we, we we saw a value chain uh, component to where the mills could now prepare the uh, the matrices that go into those algorithms and the machine will will optimize mm -hmm. value or optimize to to order well that was three decades ago and uh when we go around the forest sector, it's really, really amazing how they, those concepts are not fully mainstream and fully adopted. Well, why do you think that is? I think, um, I think part of it is our sector often, um, often deals with uh, segments. Um, so it, it's, it's a very few handful of companies, forest product companies that actually are involved in every aspect of of the chain. There's still a lot of um, uh, contracts uh, to deliver products to the mill and uh, quote unquote, we don't care how you get there. Uh, there's there's legal blockages with uh, how you deal with contractors. And and there's still, um, there's still a lot of cases uh, where uh, the receiver of the products does not know what's going on and then you leave it to the contractor. So rather than having a very, a very unified uh, front, like there is in, there was in Scandinavia, where everybody took charge and the development was really uh, rocket fast. Uh, here, there's still some cases where uh, the firm who buys the wood, uses it, transforms it, doesn't know what's going on inside, inside the chain. So I think that's yeah. the big part of it. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. It's interesting to say that because, as, as you know, I, I've been involved in this space uh, for uh, just a few years, maybe. And, and uh, definitely one can be frustrated and 
the pace of, of change. And for me, it's like, you, it's interesting you say that because I'll, I'll throw this out there and, and curious to know your thoughts. For me, often there's confusion around invention versus innovation. And for me, innovation has always been uh, just find, look at something and do it faster. Um, it's not necessarily about inventing, you know, a brand new iPhone or something, but if you look at innovation, just even on the process side, you know, if it takes this much time to do X, could we do it in a shorter period of time? And whether that's processes, technology, however you solve that problem, that in itself is innovation. I think when I look at the forestry landscape, you know, going on, I guess, you know, probably dating myself past two decades now, I'm not sure that fire is lit under the right person to incentivize them, if that's the right word, to embrace innovation. And it's something I've always just trying to figure out because certainly today, as we look at the adoption of technology, I kind of joke with foresters, they don't want to be the first ones out of the gate, but they sure as heck don't want to be the last ones either. And so right now we're seeing with the technology, and I don't know if you, you see it on your side as well, that there's a lot of people coming to the table, asking for help, wanting to learn more on how to do this. And whereas before you had to justify a lot of this, now it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, get time. It's like, yeah, yeah, I trust you. It's like, yeah, let's just go. And 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 I'm curious to know, we often hear relationships are, are key in forestry. Uh, do you think that's still the case when you think about this technology? That's still a relationship-based industry? Or do you think that's evolving into something more where there are forestry companies, forcers are buying differently? Mm. I, I think the relationship uh, concept is still very strong out there, but I think the good news is everybody knows a value proposition now, and everybody knows uh, the uh, the magnitude of the benefits that we can get. So I, I, I see it I see it changing for for the better. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, you cannot just uh, do some math and show the uh, show the value proposition, and then you have a buy-in. Uh, I know. People like uh, like you and your company. Sometimes you scratch your heads of why, like everybody agreed, and why are we not uh, implementing this this tool across the value chain? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's, that's changing, and uh, and the next generation, like the people like me, are 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 um, are, are leaving, and then there's a vacuum, and there's new people coming in. Well, the new generation, they 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 don't have the benefit of knowing the forest. Uh, as well as we did. Uh, the forestry schools uh, went from five-year programs with 140 credits and now to four-year programs with 120. And, and, uh, and I see uh, we're, we're lodged at, on, on, on campus here. So we see the, uh, the forestry um, students come and go. But they don't, they don't leave with a, a, a good understanding of the profession. And then uh, that is paired also with those mentors, those mentors that I talked about earlier. Well, they're, they're not there anymore. So, uh, so that forces the adoption of, of technology, I think. So that, that is a good, a, good, um, a good thing about that. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, very, very cool there. So yeah, it's, I, I was trying to think when you, just for our listeners, when you mentioned you're embedded on campus, that's uh, Université de... Moncton. Moncton. <laughs> I was Edmondson always, campus, yeah. Yeah, I was going to University of Edmondson. I'm like, no, that doesn't sound right. I was like, Mon- yeah. Edmondson, yeah. So University of Moncton, Edmondson campus, yeah. Uh, so embedded there. And yeah, I, I remember visiting you there uh, several summers ago. Um, so on, on those themes right now, thinking of technology, 
LIDAR. It's the hot topic button for everybody, whether you're space-based with, uh, you know, NASA Jedi, whether you're then coming to airborne, uh, single photon LIDAR, Geiger mode, linear mode, you know, the language even itself has changed over the last couple of years. But um, obviously New Brunswick has, uh, well, maybe not for our listeners, but New Brunswick has been active in wall-to-wall province-wide LIDAR mapping. You've been involved in that LIDAR space. Uh, tell me, tell me, a little bit about the past work you're doing and, and how that's positioning your, your current research focuses with uh, industry. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to talk about this, um, uh, this, 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 this curve, this, um, this, this pathway that you, we talked about earlier, pioneers and early adopters and then followers. And so in, in New Brunswick, uh, nobody will deny that LIDAR is, is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and everybody's on board. Hey, everybody's on board. And and um, this started back in 2013. But some, but uh, working off some of the findings that you you came up with in your uh, in your work at the Romeo Mallet Forest, and and how you came up to develop uh, enhanced forest inventory variables and whatnot. So everybody's fully on board. Uh, but now the the um, the pioneers are saying, okay, well. Uh, we're not going to be able to uh, do another round of LIDAR, uh, airborne LIDAR acquisitions, like not in today's economy. And once we recover from this pandemic, uh, maybe there's going to be money to fly again. But so, so there's people looking at, uh, at uh, spaceborne uh, uh, LIDAR. So, so we got all this, um, all this uh, distribution out there. And there's folks that look now at, at, uh, how can we live without rely on lidar too too much? Uh, there's there's folks looking at uh, using uh, satellites like Sentinel two to to complement to uh, to fuse information with the existing uh, lidar. And at 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 the Northern Hardwoods Research Institute, um, at at first we wanted to be uh, in that circle of influencers and pioneers and and early adopters and because we are consumers of, of inventory, of digital in inventories. But it became clear that um, maybe we wanted to, to ramp up our involvement a little bit and, and, and get active into working with um, remote sensing data. And, and uh, so we started to experiment with uh, LIDARs on, on drones as early as 2015. We were capturing 1,500 points per, per square meter with wow. uh, with a Velodyne lidar on a on a cinema drone uh, type of thing, and and uh, so so we're we're um, we're involved, and and what we try to do is to help uh, the mass uh, steer uh, in one in one in one direction. So we we will do all kind of work, all kinds of work with. Um, precision forest inventory, and then we, we keep people informed. Hopefully somebody, will, or collectively, with everything that everybody knows, somebody will say, hey, that's great, let's go there. So that, that's really our role, and we're not at all trying to displace the, the big players in that, um, in that ecosystem. Yeah. Our role is to do crazy stuff while other people do productive uh, mainstream stuff, but we, we explore and then we um, we make people aware of of what it is that we're we're finding. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's the piece I think when we when I think of NHRI, you guys do fantastic applied research and and um, and while other universities, bigger institutions may do that, you're you're obviously closest to 
boots on the ground in that parts of the world. And you guys have pumped out some great research pieces. Uh, do, do you think um, do you think this would be a general statement or a valid statement? All forestry companies in your neck of the woods, thinking of New Brunswick there, have embraced LIDAR because, you know, when I think of some of them, you know, I talk with, and I won't name them, uh, they may not be fully on board and, and maybe more from that accuracy and precision, you know, what they expect isn't quite there. Do you think there's, um, there's some companies out there that may not have fully bought on beyond the point that it was free? flown by the province, um, you know, created by, by, by the province, the EFI there on the pixel basis. Um, do you think there's a couple laggers? Because JD Irving is obviously the opposite. They've gone, you know, to the full extreme of embracing it completely for individual tree work and species work. But some of the other players, do you think there's still some uh, work to be done? Yeah, there is. Uh, so you, you, you mentioned the other extreme. We were very privileged to have real... Uh, Real frontrunners uh, here that that kind of drive the uh, the R and D agenda, and but uh, yes, uh, people or companies and firms we we deal with. Um, I had a call a year ago uh, from one that said, uh, "Well, DNR gave us the lidar derived enhanced forest inventories on a hard drive, uh, a big hard drive, but how can we how can we open it? How can we look at it? And how can we use it?" and uh, and they asked us if we could help them with workflows and, 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 and things like that. But those companies normally uh, are not as invested. Uh, and, uh, and I think not, not, that I, not that I say it in a negative way, but uh, uh, sometimes they'll be, um, they'll be waiting for uh, the dust to settle and everything will be ironed out so they don't have to put the effort in, in, in those processes. Right like enhanced forest inventories. And a lot of it has to do with size of the, of, of the firms and their, their, their vision. So it's not, not negative in any, any way, but it does create this distribution of adopters that goes from fully adopting and then leading uh, development to those who just wait till everything is, is, is cooked and, and, and ready. So. Yeah, absolutely. And for our listeners, DNR's uh, Department of Natural Resources um, in New Brunswick. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's interesting to mention that, Gaetan, because part of me has always wondered, you know, is it a capacity building issue? You know, some of these companies that uh, don't have the capacity and people and technology, right? And even though they may be um, super excited watching the world unfold and wanting to be part of it, I, at times I wonder if it really is just I, I don't have the manpower, woman power. I don't have the tools, the technology. I don't have the network to to collaborate. So that's something I've always been curious about. Obviously, living yeah. in the space of technology and what some of those barriers are to really achieving success. Because my philosophy, and I've shared it with a lot of people, and even yourself in the past, is the best successes are when you have the subject matter expert from the forestry side at the table, and then the other partners. So whether it's a technology provider or a, a government partner, but when you really have those SMEs, not small, medium enterprises, but subject matter experts, it's amazing what you can do because it grounds what you're doing. And in, in, as you said, at the start of this podcast, you know, in the real world and in, in utility and applicable things. So that's, that's something I've always been wrestling with. I'm going to take us over to a different theme. You and I sat in a, a big data AI workshop, uh, NRCAN, Natural Resources Canada, ran it, um, I believe Canadian Forest Service, Canadian Wood Fiber Center, um, some of the usual players there. And, and this is probably now, I guess what, actually it was right before the pandemic, 
struck. I think it was yeah, February twenty twenty, right? My last public event uh, before yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that you mentioned, I remember that because I remember it's like, yeah, that was probably my last flight um, out east there. But at that, uh, they've published things about you know big data, you know predictive analytics, AI, and all that jazz. Where's the state of the art in from your seat and looking at New Brunswick and other jurisdictions in Quebec as well and stuff? What what are your thoughts on this whole AI thing? Is it is it legitimate? Is it does it is it a too broad of a term that needs to be unpacked into specific parts of the business of forestry? What are your thoughts on AI and what what it brings? Yeah, I'm 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 uh, I'm the last thing from a believer of solutions that come out of a black box or those little, <laughs> those old uh, cue balls that you shook and you had an answer coming in the window. Yeah, yeah. Thing. And like, and I, I always want I, I really appreciate uh, all the all the work that goes in there and all the results, but I, I need to open the hood and make sure the wires are not crossed and. I, I, I need to make sure it's repeatable and it's solid. And I'm really bad about that. I really slow down work sessions with uh, with developers and AI people because I don't no, no, wait. Like, why is that image still useful across all of New Brunswick that's satellite imagery while the leaves are red in Edmonston and they're still green in Moncton and you're building a model from AI that figures out species from reflectance values, explain it anyway. And so that's that's the way I work. But I I, I, I do see a big, big role uh, in, in AI in general, but really deep learning is what I'm what I'm what I'm really um, interested in um, lately. And 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 we, we formed a partnership with a uh, IT firm that specializes in um, in uh, in AI and they're they're really good at it. But alone, um, they were not going anywhere. And we work with them on a daily basis and we provide the forestry input. So if we build a model to come up with a certain inventory variable from remote sensing, well, we will build the training data. And that's what I learned is the training data is about everything. And you know, you can, you can, you can build an AI model in, uh, in, uh, in ArcGIS Pro using their random forest uh, routine. But the key is great training data that relates to your, your, your problem. So AI folks, uh, you know, statisticians, uh, machine learning experts rarely can, can do that. So the, the pairing uh, within a team uh, that, that develops uh, solutions using AI, but the pairing with with real real users that that will bring relevance to the training data. That's that's the key to to everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've heard it time and time again in the AI space, and then that brings in machine learning and the deep learning subset of the machine learning side or specialized subset there. Which ironically for me is when I look at deep learning, right? You're dealing with neural networks and. And I think back to my my graduate days where we were coding that in like comp sci courses and who would, uh, it was more to recognize letters on uh, mail that you sent. And uh, and in hindsight, I'm like, man, if I just stuck with that, it's like, maybe I'd be on my 60 foot yacht right now. I, I'm saying that in jest. People who know me know I, I don't roll that way. I'm not fancy that fancy. But but thinking of the AI side of things, absolutely training day is key. If you I often say in layman's term, if you don't see it, you're never going to predict it. And that's where that library... Uh, um, is critical. And I think on the research side, there's always questions, you know, 
how big does the library need to be to actually uh, for it to work? But maybe I, I believe you guys have some project NHRI has some projects as a function from that workshop. Can you share maybe a little bit about the state of the art, what industry is driving in that context of that that AI space? Yeah. So fr from that workshop, uh, what resonated was there, there's a big need. There's there's lots of interest from all the sectors that were involved in that in that workshop and all the way from uh, from uh, forest products firms to to IT firms and so that was that really resounded um, and right down to a list of priorities and then um, NRCAN uh, uh, launched a nationwide uh, call for proposals uh, for three-year projects and NHRI submitted one uh, un under that theme uh, value chain digitalization uh, and and then uh, we were successful. We got we got funded, so we got three years funding to to conduct uh, what we call Digital Timberlands 2020. And 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 what it is for us, it's try to focus on the upstream portion of the value chain uh, to um, to work with all players and and try to to develop um, uh, try to perfect a concept. And uh, so. Uh, what we're doing is we start with um, with uh, what we know already from precision forest inventories, uh, and then uh, we, we we work with that, and then we go to the woods. Uh, we set up um, uh, one hectare frames, 100 meters by 100 meters, for which we know inventory from from the EFIs. Uh, but then we super super uh, inventory that that frame. We put nine plots in one hectare, and we characterize a forest, and then we um, we isolate sample trees uh, that will be harvested and uh, with destructive sample, and then we will try to relate everything along along the chain. So. Uh, what is it that the harvester produced? How well did it measure the pieces? How well did we uh, uh, improve bucking? Uh, roll it back. What did our inventory in the woods find? And then roll it back even more. What did the uh, uh, remote sensing derived enhanced forest inventories tell us? And then we're looking at, okay, so there, there's obviously errors everywhere uh, and there's biases. So, so we're trying to develop uh, means to fix errors and to Im to improve or remove bias. So that that's in essence what what our project is. Uh, we're putting 100 to 150 um, of those frames uh, across New Brunswick. Uh, plus every frame before harvested, uh, we fly with a, a drone with lidar. Uh, we capture um, about 2,000 points per square meter. And then, uh, so we're going to try to extract single tree metrics, uh, even even down to saw logs on those trees. Cool. And again, again, compare that to what the harvester did, and then uh, come up with uh, optimal bucking patterns, and then measure how close did the harvester get to the optimal, and try to explain why we we um, we did it. Um, in those frames, also people walking with uh, mobile uh, mobile lidars. In a backpack, and we collect about uh, fifteen thousand points per square meter. We're going to use terrestrial lidar at sixty thousand points per square meter, and then we're going to we're going to mesh all of that. And and really, the big goal is to see where the opportunities are and what uh, what do we have to work at to make sure 
we can digitalize the value chain because we we haven't today. Right, right. Yeah, definitely interesting. So for some of our listeners listening, you describe that different types of technologies and whatnot. How are you going about choosing them? Because I suspect a lot of people are listening going like, oh, hey, I get kind of talking about, you know, drones. I want one. I don't even know where to start. And he's talking about terrestrial LIDAR, mobile LIDAR, you know, and, and so thinking of the, the person starting that new digital forester wanting to right. get into the space. Do you have any pro tips as from lessons learned of, you know, you need to ask at a minimum these three questions, otherwise you might get yeah. the drone that flies for five minutes, not the 45 minute one, uh, or the payload's too heavy and it affects your power. Any pro tips on the field side? Because I'm hearing a theme around heavily applied research on the field and linking it to the harvesters. Any pro tips for those looking to get into that space? Yeah, find find the uh, organizations like us who've who've made all those errors and 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 uh, and <laughs> believe believe the sales pitch and believe the spec sheets and and whatnot. And by all means, if nothing else, we can we can tell you what to look out for. Uh, we can even recommend uh, single um, equipment. We don't we don't like to make comparisons uh, one company against against the other. But we certainly can say, well, gee, if you're gonna, if you want to do um, high density scans, and um, and you want to do it on large areas, well, there's two big, two big spheres. You can do uh, the typical, uh, you know, RTK GNSS type of approach, or you can use a SLAM, uh, the SLAM alignment technology, and and we've tested both and. Both have their caveats and both both have their 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 pluses. So so maybe tell me more about that since I I know what you're talking about. But our listeners might be going, what are we talking about? Basketball now, like LeBron James, like <laughs> slam dunk, like uh, yeah, unpack so, that a little bit more for us. Yeah, yes. So 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 if you're familiar with, uh, well, I I know you are, but your 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 listeners that are familiar with. Um, aerial LIDAR scans on, on, on airplanes, sometimes multi-engine airplanes flying 8,000 feet. Well, you don't have a strip alignment issue because you cover such a large area with those regal uh, scanners and then the, everything stitches very well from one strip to the other. And you're also at low density, six to eight, maybe 10 points per square meter. And you're interested at point clouds to uh, come up with area-based forest inventories. My 20 meter by 20 meter, I have so much basal area. Here's my percent hardwoods. Here's my pea size. So, so for that purpose, we don't have an issue that LIDAR technology is, is mature. Um, the stuff that we're trying to do, we want to go right down to the single tree. Every single tree must have a, a, a 3D um, a representation and we want to make predictions on uh, diameters at different heights and, and where the branches are. So that needs a very, very high density scan. And unfortunately, uh, the strips are so much tighter together. We're talking maybe 10 meters between, between paths. So that brings the issue of uh, making strip A and strip B, which collected data on almost almost the same features really align. You don't want uh, DBH to be here on, 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 on one strip and then DBH to be here on, on an, another strip. So there's technology around that. And the first technology is, uh, is just, doing, just using RTK and GNSS or PPK technology where uh, the drone with its initial uh, measurement unit, IMU, 
will take care of that. It knows where it is at all times and, and the more money, the better, but generally they can align strips without too much problem. But there's, there's, there's issues. Uh, we just collected some scans in Halliburton in, um, in Ontario this summer, this spring, and we're still struggling with aligning, aligning the strips really? because okay. we, got, we got ghosting on, on, on trees. Uh, but but this is this is an algorithm thing, so uh, we're we're going to get around to do it. The other technology is the, the strips themselves. So this is the, the slam technology. So the strips themselves uh, are what makes them align. So uh, you get full full coverage, and then it's triangulation or ranging. I'm not sure, but it doesn't rely on IMU and and, and GPS. It's the relative position of objects from strip to strip and then it constructs the model that way. It, it tends to be very reliable. It's very finicky though on, um, on parameters and, 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 and setup and calibration. But the, the big drawback is you cannot do this for areas bigger than, uh, than about five hectares easily. Uh, it gets too big and then the, the model gets confused with too much information and try to pull too much at the same time. So. Uh, so if somebody wanted to get into the business of uh, providing aerial scanning uh, at very, very high densities uh, with drones, we could, we could talk to them and say, okay, if, you, uh, if you're thinking of this, here's what we encountered. Uh, if you're thinking of the other approach, well, we, we've encountered something else. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I'm, I love it because I get, you, I get you to explain it. I don't have to explain it. Um, and, and it's kind of funny, I'm like, Slam, uh, I should look this up, uh, simultaneous localization and, and something mapping. I'm trying to look it up on my, my phone here, but uh, yeah, there we go. There's the buzzword. Um, uh, yeah, there's lots of players out there. So, so absolutely. So handheld technology, uh, you know, uh, I, I think nowadays, if you go into that mining space, um, you know, SLAM was you know, probably roots in there. Uh, I think even CSRI Road of Australia had some early pioneers there because I remember, again, dating us, you know, the version one of the GeoSLAM as an example. Yeah. You know, there's other products, but, but super cool um, yeah. at the end of the day, um, per se. So, so thinking of that, on the drone side, it, it used to be kind of like that hot topic, and maybe it still is. Uh, what's the state of the art on your side? Um, yeah. Still visual line of sight needs to be, or in your jurisdiction, can you go beyond visual line of sight and get that extra range? Because as foresters, we're always like, hey, it's a great tool, but I got to be able to see that bird yeah. in the sky. And then that constrains its uses. What, where's the state of the art in your, your neck of the woods? Yeah, so I, 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 I got to be careful. Our drone pilot is not, is not here. So uh, uh, I tell Pam that she's our drone pilot. She's really good. And, but we, we really discovered we started fly drones in 2013 and we quickly, quickly discovered the niche for practical drone application is super narrow. And um, okay. so Interesting. We, we use it for proof of concepts uh, mostly uh, because, well, I'll give you an example. One of our great financial partners came to us and they said, um, we would like to map every tree in young plantations, softwood plantations, three to seven years old. And we would like to figure out the heights of those trees and the projection of the base of the crown. And once we have that, then we can initiate that plantation on the yield curve and then we can think about remedial treatments. And so 
So what, and, and they, they said, we want to do this operationally. So the first discussion we had is, we don't think drones are the way to go to scale it up operational. But for the proof of concept, for the development, for the straw dog, nothing better than, than, than drone technology. So this fall, when the leaves fall on the trees here, uh, we'll be flying uh, probably 15 to 2,000 points per square meter uh, densities, uh, acquiring that with, with a drone and a LIDAR. But the purpose is once, once we have that, we will dummy down the point cloud to the sweet spot at which, what is the minimal amount of points per square meter you need to make those predictions. And um, if it happens to be in the range of 100 points per square meter, then we'll say, okay, let's go talk to a um, uh, airborne LIDAR acquisition provider, ask them what they need to do to capture 100 points per square meter, because they'll do it so much cheaper, so much faster, so much more quality and integrity. And their, their answer might be, well, we're going to fly it on a Bell 206 helicopter at 150 feet above canopy at uh, 30 knots, but it's gonna cost you three times the cost of yeah. airborne, but it's gonna cost you a fraction of drone. So, so that's, that's the role we play. Uh, and um, and, and I, I don't know too many um, organizations that are able to do that. So, so uh, tackle those questions with a pragmatic uh, view so then somebody who's already in that business can, can uh, look at the best practices and then, and then do that uh, commercially. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, great, great point, right? I think you just nailed it on the head, like best practices, good practices, right? The NHRI, I know, um, uh, does a lot of research and publications and even, is it monthly, the leaflet? Quarterly uh... uh, now, yeah, it, it was monthly, but it became a full-time job for three people, so. Yeah, no kidding, no <laughs> kidding. So so Gaetan's team publishes out a quarterly newsletter called the leaflet, so uh, you can go to their website there if you want access to it. So so I guess as we, as we think about, as we start winding down in, in our conversation, I'm curious to know uh, what gets you excited for the next one year, three year, and ten year. Because again, as I said, you're you're what twenty eight years plus ten years. You got another forty eight to go, so you're well positioned here to give us a view into the the crystal ball future. But what gets you excited in your seat? Because I think it's unique. You're in that executive director role. You're seeing. You've got the boots on the ground experience. You've seen the world of forestry unfold as some of the technologies today we take for granted are are just there. Um, but what gets you what gets you excited? One year, three year, 10 year? What do you think the world looks like? Yeah, so what gets me, uh, what makes me get up early in the morning and, and come to work and still not think about retirement is um, the big challenge we have to bring solutions so the right forest management can be, can be applied in a context where there's fewer, fewer, fewer knowledgeable foresters in the woods now. And it's not really their fault because the job demands that you, you get to the woods uh, and your pickup truck, you talk to the contractor, you solve the supply chain problem. And that's all the time you have for that day. And you don't have, don't have a chance to spend half a day walking through a stand and, and validating treatments and whatnot. It's, it's unfortunate, but it is, it is a reality. So, so our challenge and what keeps us really going is that, how can we develop tools to, to fix that gap? Uh, empower the forester with 
technology and information really, and then answers. So their job now is go there and validate what this um, uh, software as a service produced. Uh, so that that's that's where we're 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 going, and uh, a lot of my colleagues elsewhere at other research in, institutions they 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 tend to believe educating people to make decisions uh, is still the solution. I, I kind of gave up on that because uh, resource wise, it doesn't really make make sense. So empowering decision make makers throughout the whole chain uh, with technology. Uh, and giving them a different perspective, you know, uh, uh, timber cruising, you, you may put one point per three hectares and you look at the stand from the perspective of a, of a vole and then you try to infer uh, everything to the whole block while with, with EFIs, you can have a view every 20 meter by 20 meter and uh, you can you can leverage that and and then so what you do you 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 build on improving accuracy and finding ways to fix errors and and reduce bias so th that's what really drives us is uh, the role we play in trying to uh, to uh, to make these things happen without relying on the old methods of the 1950s so. yeah yeah well I, it's amazing when we think about that and look at the forestry, what forestry contributes to the Canadian GDP, and then we look at how much investment is made in new technologies, and 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 they're completely misaligned. And, and I like your point about you know the stands you're scaling them up because I still remember the way back in my early days, uh, you know the comment, oh we assume a stand is a uh, uh, you know all the same, and then uh, I can't remember who said it to me, but they said you know what uh, a stand is a, a a homogeneous blob of heterogeneity and that's always stuck <laughs> in my head because it's yeah. like we just think it's homogeneous but there's so much differences in there so what does 10 years look out for you, you you've been at this long enough you've seen the world come and go with different technologies the hype cycle right people excited yeah. about this and then the boom multiple times we won't necessarily flag those uh, technologies but um thinking 10 years out what what do you what does Gaetan see the the digital forester look like in terms of their toolkits and and whatnot Yes, well, I think in, in, in our neck of the woods, uh, Eastern North America, I think um, uh, because we're going to be relying still on a lot of natural forest. And I think think the, the proportion of planted forest in, up here will cap at, 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 at some point for a variety of, of reasons. Um, so I, I think 10 years from now to bring the resolution that we get uh, in understanding planted stands today, uh, to bring that to the same level in mixed uh, natural stands, I think would be would be a great advancement. Um, being able to um, work with optimizing growth rates, uh, leveraging precision forest inventories, and and make micro uh, micro treatment so shift the treatment on the fly as the machine progresses uh, in the stand and see in, in real time um, uh, what you have to do here, which will be different than 30 meters from, from now, but do that on, on the fly, uh, optimized uh, under a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, of constraints. Uh, also uh, uh, automation of the harvesters. So maybe, um, maybe LIDAR uh, sensors on the harvesting heads. With all these algorithms and better computers than we have today uh, to do this. So we don't have to 
have a characterization campaign months or years before the harvest, we can do this on, on the fly. Uh, of course, we need 5G networks everywhere, communication, super fast computers, all of that. But in, in the case of um, hardwood trees, uh, once you're, you're suggested which tree to cut, uh, then you have a bucking recipe to optimize value of products. So 10 years from now, to have that technology in the cab of, of the harvesters uh, would, be, would be great, but it has upstream from that is all the stuff we talked about all, uh, all hour here, uh, that, that all has, to, uh, all has to, uh, to, uh, to get in place. But, uh, right, right. Uh, well, I often say yeah, multiple pieces of the puzzle, you need them to kind of fall into place to realize some future state and, and, and it's going to take everyone together, the NHRs, research institutions, private sector. Again, back to my get the subject matter experts around the table. Uh, you get those key people at the table, then you can do some amazing, amazing things. So thinking of people, uh, Gaetan, who want to reach out and follow up, maybe they got projects, you know, I, I'm sure as NHRI, you're open to new projects, new funding mechanisms, new collaborations per se, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Is it email? Is it the website, LinkedIn, social media? Uh, feel free to share your credentials uh, at this point. Yeah, so uh, so the easiest ways uh, would be by, by email. Uh, you can uh, type in gaita.pelche at hardwoodsnb.ca or go on our website, hardwoodsnb.ca and then you can reach us from there. Uh, but we like to talk to people. So this is just to, in, to, uh, to, to get the initial contact, but we'd like to talk to you and, and, uh, and, uh, and exchange. So these are the easiest way. Uh, uh, and we, we encourage people to, to do that. And uh, uh, I wanna end also like, uh, and, and, and I know this, this podcast of yours is not about that, but we have great relationships with, with firms like, uh, like limb geomatics and and they are part of of the mix and and it's really um, it's really uh pleasant to be able to work and you you've helped us modify your your tools and and uh, to do that so uh, so it's not only about uh, academia it's not only about governments and and it's it's about a, it's about a, a ton of different uh, stakeholders uh that, that we get to do what we do and, yeah uh, absolutely absolutely well it's partnerships that realize uh, true collaboration there. So uh, absolutely. So there you have it, folks. Yeah, you heard from Gaetan Peltier. Gaetan, merci beaucoup for your time. You know, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. I love hearing the stories. And uh, as I said, hopefully, yeah, I know, I'm not sure if it'll be February 2022 that we get to connect, uh, but maybe not so far into the distant future. You're, you're, you're not a very far drive away uh, well, by Forrester's terms, uh, you know, you're only, uh, what, eight hour drive for me uh, heading out east. But I think you, you nailed it on the head in your final comments there that you like to talk. Forrester's like to talk. Forrester's relationships at the end of the day, you know, people boots on the ground, but nothing replaces just in-person communication. And uh, those are where the real wins are realized. So thanks so much for joining. I appreciate you making the time for this. And uh, I, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy this one and, and follow up with uh, new research ideas to challenge you and your team. So thanks very much, Jaytan. My pleasure, Kevin.